This is Library Nerds with Words, the podcast that gives you the word on all the cool, nerdy happenings at Peter White Public Library and the library universe beyond. From books and concerts to search engines and story times, the library nerds are in and ready to show you that being a nerd can be cool. Get ready, get set, get nerdy. Welcome back to Library Nerds with Words, the podcast that gives you the word on all the cool things going on at Peter White Public Library and the library universe beyond, straight from the people who know it best, library nerds. My name is Marty Ackett, and I'm the Adult Programming Coordinator for Peter White Public Library. Joining me today in the nerd screening room for her first appearance on the podcast is one of my favorite library nerds. Kat Shattuck from the Reference Desk. Welcome to the podcast, Kat. Thanks, Marty. Glad to be here. Well, you know, I'm really glad that you are here. I always love welcoming new nerds to the podcast. Of course, you aren't new to Peter White Public Library. Kat has been working at the library in various capacities for quite a while now, first in circulation and now at the Reference Desk. And wherever Kat is, there's always fun to be had. One of our favorite pastimes in adult services is judging books by their covers. And we have all come to the conclusion that publishers really have very little taste in cover art. So, but that's a subject for another podcast uh, episode. So maybe, maybe Kat will come back. We can talk about how, how crappy the covers are. But before we get into what is on your mind today, Kat, we have to adapt what we're doing to play a little game of Word on the Nerd. And yes, if you're wondering, that is a clue as to what Kat and I are going to be talking about a little later in the podcast. You know the podcast, so you know how this works, Kat. I'm going to ask you three library nerd questions, and you have to answer them for listeners. So, Kat, are you ready to play? Word on the Nerd. All right, Kat, this is going to be a game of Would You Rather. I'm going to ask you three would you rather questions and you have to truthfully answer them for the listeners. And all of today's questions have to do with adaptation and evolution. Yes, that's another clue on to, as to our subject today. Okay, so here we go. Here's your first question. Would you rather bring back from extinction the Stellar's sea cow or bring back from extinction the woolly mammoth? I think scientifically speaking, mm -hmm. I would have to go for the stellar sea cow. Why? Because well, we've got we've still got the manatees, but they're still on the endangered list. Yes, they are. Yeah. And I don't think our current ecosystem could handle a bunch of woolly, woolly mammoths. Yeah, but I, you know, I think boy, it'd be really cool to see a woolly mammoth. Oh, of course it would be so cool. <laughs> but I mean, and yeah, and I've seen manatees in person, so those are really cool. But yeah. I, I see where you're coming from. I mean, uh, environmentally and everything, I guess we'd have to go with the stellar sea cow versus the woolly mammoth. I mean, where would a woolly mammoth herd actually survive in this world? You know, it's it doesn't seem really realistic, <laughs> this question. No, it really doesn't. But I, I kind of like, you know, thinking about that. It's like, it'd be really cool if you could like, travel somewhere in the United States to go see a herd of woolly mammoth. But that's, you know, that's what leads to Jurassic Park, though. Well, you know that, how that ended up. Yes. And plus, you know, uh, I mean, the, knowing humankind, we probably bring them back from extinction and then kill them again. So anyway, <laughs> that's what would happen. I'm sorry. 
All right. Sorry, all you people out there that disagree with me, but um, all right. So, okay. That one surprised me. I thought you were going to go with Willie Nam. So, <laughs> all right. Now, uh, the questions get a little harder uh, from here on out. So here's your second one. Would you rather evolve into an animal that can fly or evolve into an animal that lives in the ocean can breathe underwater? This one definitely is a harder choice. Okay. Because on the one hand, if you live underwater, how are you going to read books? Ooh, that's a really good question. But on the other hand... There's just so much cool things to see underwater. No, see, this is a really hard one to answer. And ultimately, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with underwater. You're gonna go with under. You're gonna give up books and everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just I, I have had dreams before of being able to breathe underwater. Okay. So I think to fulfill that sort of childhood mm. uh, uh, expectation of what my life was gonna be. I think I'll go with breathing. You know, here's the thing. I mean, if you're if you still have all of your like normal like eyes and fingers and everything like that, maybe you could figure out a way to read underwater. So mm. I can we can take pictures underwater, make amazing documents. Exactly, you know. So the technology has to be eventually, eventually what it is, underwater Kindles. You just take them down and then you got it. You got it. Yeah. Um I'm not a big fan of deep water and everything, so I'm gonna go with flying on this one. I I would I think fly, being able to fly would be pretty cool. So no one's saying I'm swimming down to the Marianas. I know, but, but I you know I'd be tempted if I could if you could survive that kind of pressure, mm -hmm. you know, to do that. But you know, get some lunch with a giant isopod. That would be really cool, wouldn't it? It would be so cool. Okay, all right. Here's your last question, Kat. Would you rather see your favorite book adapted into a terrible movie or see one of your favorite movies adapted into a terrible television series? Easy. Ter one of my favorite movies has to be into a terrible TV show. Okay. What's your favorite movie that you would you would say? So the thing is, some of my friends might say that my, some, that my favorite movies are already terrible. Oh, okay. And that being said... <laughs> I would rather see I would rather see a movie done poorly than a book done poorly because we've had so many examples over the years of yeah. books done poorly. Mm -hmm. We've already seen the any album. Oh my gosh, yes. Um so you're going with favorite movie into a terrible television series. Yeah. Okay. I this childhood movie called The Flight of Dragons. Okay. Which came out in 1982. It's a Rankin Bass animated film. Mm -hmm. And I showed it to a couple of my friends. And by the end, they were screaming at me. Because they hated it? Because it starts off as a very basic fantasy mm -hmm. sort of romp that's reminiscent of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. So who knows? A TV show might do well nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. But by the end of it, I won't say any spoilers in case someone else wants That's to go and find it, it. Yeah. but uh, the defeat of the final big bad voiced by James Earl Jones by the way mm. is uh, baffling in its execution and so they were just really frustrated by that particular it, aspect. It did not stick the landing <laughs> in, a, in what I think is a fabulous and entertaining way. Okay, alright, well 
Um, this one is hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I, I, I really hate it when I love a book and then I go to a movie and I'm really excited for it and the movie just tanks. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Um, so I'm going to go with the fact that if I've got a really great movie, like you, if you got a really great movie, um, at least you got a really good movie and you don't have to really watch the television series if you don't yes, want to. Exactly. But even bad television sometimes is very entertaining to watch. Yeah. So you um, might get one or two good scenes. Right. Exactly. And, and who knows? I've seen TV shows that I thought were terrible when they first started and then got better if they, if they give them time. So, okay. Well, you surprised me on a few of those. So, all right. Well, there you have it. We have come to the end of this evolutionary edition of Word on the Nerd with Kat Chaddock from the Reference Desk. And now, Kat, the time has come to find out what is on your library nerd mind today. It's a little segment we like to call The Word. All right, Kat, what is on your mind today? So we are going to be talking about adaptations, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And not, uh, we're not talking about the uh, movie with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Which isn't, not bad. (laughs) It's not terrible, but go ahead. But we are talking about the idea of taking one movie and turning it into a different movie for a different audience. Right. Okay. So the ones I want to specifically mention today are Paprika and Inception. Yes. Now I will say this. Uh, this is my confession. I saw Inception. I've seen. I saw Inception before. Um, we recorded the this podcast long before when it first came out. I really liked the movie. Um, I just watched Paprika for the first time last night. Was totally blown away. And just to put this into context, Paprika came out many years before um, uh, Inception did. So anyway, go ahead. Paprika, for those who don't know, is a film by Japanese director Satoshi Kon. Um, It is a beautifully animated film about, like Inception, the potential of dreamscapes and dream-invading technology. Mm -hmm. And whereas the main body of Inception is using this technology for corporate espionage, in Paprika, it's intended to be a therapeutic tool to help people with past traumas sort of psychological issues yeah Yeah. their way for them to find healing through their dreams right right and (laughs) boy that's a difference isn't it 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 is a huge difference and i will say this like uh when i when i first sat down to watch paprika last night i'm watching this and i'm like how is this movie related to i mean truly i was like how is this movie going to relate to inception because when I first saw Inception, I was like, sort of, I was blown away by it and all of its plot twists and everything like that. I never understood one thing, how everybody was going around saying, oh, Inception is so confusing. I don't understand what's going on. I was like, how can you not understand that movie? But that's a whole other issue. I find Inception to be very clear personally in the yeah. way it works in layers. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if people get confused when they're like, three dreams down or something like that. And that's where they find it confusing or they get to the end when he's spinning that little thing and they're like, okay, is he dreaming still? Or is this real? You know, that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, I was, I was sort of blown away by this, but by inception when it first came out. So I'm watching Paprika last night 
And I'm like, okay, I'm watching it, waiting for it. And then these scenes start happening that look as if they're like animated scenes from Inception. I mean, some when of the things. It's the other way around. When it's, at, when, it's, when it's the other way around. Because as soon as I saw that happen, I was like, wait a minute, which came first? And I Googled it and I was like, paprika came first. Mm-hmm. So this... For all of you Christopher Nolan fans out there, I'm really sorry to say this, but Christopher Nolan sort of ripped off Paprika. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, um, yeah. Well, talk a little bit more why you love this movie so much. I could go on and on. If if you'll let me get on my little soapbox for a little bit. Go ahead. I love soapboxes, so go ahead. I have a lot of feelings about animation. Okay. I had a professor in my undergrad who once described animation as being the space between dreams and reality. Mm. And I think there's a big media trend, especially lately in the past couple of years, of taking a wonderful piece of animated media Mm. and saying, wow, that was great. Let's make it a live action so it can be real art. Yeah. Yeah. We saw that this summer. I mean, Little Mermaid. I mean, all of the Disney quote-unquote live-action remakes. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about the 2009 Dragon Ball movie, for instance, which totally tanked. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about Ghost in the Shell in 2017 with Scarlett Johansson. Terrible. And, you know, that's another another example of a Japanese movie Mm. animated that, for whatever reason, Mm. couldn't just be taken as is. Yeah. Why do we have to make things that are good and animated live action to be taken seriously in the West. And and somehow uh, somehow it's going to be better by being live action. Yeah. Which I just don't understand. I mean, I I mean I watch Disney films, animated films and everything like that. I've not been very impressed by hardly any of their live action, you know, like reboots. Um Little Mermaid was all right, I thought. Yes. It was was really decent. But um, yeah, this movie, this is a whole nother thing. I mean, Christopher Nolan didn't like make live action paprika. No, he he like literally took the idea of paprika, put a little switch on it, changed it up from, you know, like trying to help humankind through psychological trauma into we're going to gain control of uh, an uh, energy conglomerate or something like that. And um, just changed it enough. And then, but the imagery (laughs) is what I can't get past because the imagery in Paprika, and and for those of you that have not seen this movie, we do have it here at the library and um, you got to see it. It's a a beautiful film. The animation's gorgeous. Um, Just so well done. Um, Just a warning. Um, It's not a little kid's animation. Okay, this is not an animated feature for little kids. This is an animated feature. I would say at least I think it's R-rated. Mm, I, yeah, I can't remember if it, but at least PG thirteen, um, if not if not more, because it's a, it's got a lot of adult themes in it. So sensitive warnings for emotional violence yeah. and. Um, I'm going to say artistic depiction of rape. Yeah. Yeah. It, nothing overtly sexual, but. Nothing overtly sexual, but there's one scene where when it happens, I was sitting there watching. And I was like, wow, 
okay, yeah. they went there and they did it. <laughs> yeah, think of if in how in Inception they're going through layers of dreams. Mm-hmm. If someone literally takes the dream skin off of someone, and yeah. you've probably got it. You got the idea there. You're not going to go into any more detail no. about that particular part because after you watch that part, I was like okay, that made me feel really uncomfortable and strange. And, you know, it's just very, but st- still, I mean, it's like you said, artistic in a way, like you're watching it and you're like, I can't believe they're doing this. And it's just, it was, it was just a, an amazing film. But it's exactly what the moment needs. Exactly. And it, it is, I mean, it's not like gratuitous in any way, shape or form. Um, And, um, it, and it's sort of like, it's sort of like one of the big, big moments in the movie where you you kind of come to a realization about what's happening and what has been happening as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, and I think that's ultimately one of the reasons that we go back to Inception existing mm-hmm. is this attitude that if it's for if it's animated, it's for kids. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you preface saying that, that, oh, this isn't a movie for little kids. Right, right. It's this assumption that if it's animated, it's fine for kids. Right, exactly. You know, and so Inception took this concept of delving into dreams. And I think the perfect encapsulation is that part in Inception where one of these operatives says, you can't be afraid to dream a little bigger mm-hmm. and pulls out a bigger gun. Yeah. Um, yeah like that's that's sort of what inception is about mm-hmm. yeah and and like i said I, when I, I remember when inception first came out everybody was talking about it everybody was sort of well i mean some people were confused by it i didn't find it confusing whatsoever um it was the next matrix it, it was the next matrix and plus it was christopher nolan and of course you know christopher nolan in in film in the film world is sort of looked on and revered as this like visionary filmmaker. Well, he is a visionary filmmaker. He saw Paprika, had a vision of it, and then <laughs> made it into Inception. Um, I, you know, I, I teach, I teach, uh, um, I, I teach English at a college level. And if I'd gotten these two papers, Inception and <laughs> Paprika next to each other, I would have probably had both of those students seen in my office going, okay, who wrote this paper? Because they're that, I mean, they're that similar in imagery and, and theme and everything. Um, so, and I hate to say this, but Christopher Nolan probably would have been the one receiving failing grade on that paper. Um, even though Inception is really well made. Yeah, it's still, I, I still enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's still a really fun movie to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the twists and turns of, Leonardo DiCaprio's various breakdowns are interesting. Are really interesting. I um I love Ellen Page before Elliot uh, before Ellen became Elliot. I love Ellen Page in the movie. I mean, all of the actors in it. Michael Caine's in it for God's sake. I mean, yeah. In any movie with Michael Caine, even if it's a little bit hard, is is really good. And plus, um, Ken Watanabe is okay. oh so good. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's there's so much that's good in Inception, but now you sort of ruined it for me with this knowledge. Sorry, but I <laughs> once you see paprika, it's like, why go back? It well, and that's it exactly. It's like if someone were to say, "What should I watch?" I got a choice between Inception and Paprika. I'm now going to recommend Paprika over Inception. You know, is 
and it's hard to talk about it a little bit because we're talking in an audio format. Yeah. What makes Paprika and Inception great are the visuals. The visuals, yeah. But for those who know Inception, there's that scene where the whole city flips over. So it flips over on itself, yeah. Yeah, and becomes this sandwich city. Mm -hmm. And for the the computer animation technology at the time, yes, that was an amazing moment. But is it better than what Paprika does in traditional animation? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, probably, you know, it probably, if people were going to try to make Paprika when it was first released into a live action film, probably the technology wouldn't have sustained it. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been able to do it. But, you know, Christopher Nolan, when he sees Paprika, I mean, I, I just, this is my imagination. I don't know if, if Christopher Nolan did this, but I'm thinking Christopher Nolan's watching this going, wow, I could do this now mm -hmm. with, with, uh, with real, um, you know, real uh, computer animation or make it look, you know, realistic. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing to make something like that into reality like that. Like you said, it's like animation is that, is that dream place between between dreams and reality yeah exactly so you know and th that's what i don't understand when you have a really great animated film what what the impulse besides economics mm -hmm. is into making it into something that's live action because somehow live action is more legitimate it's the, it's seen as the superior media uh. i i stopped watching the oscars you know, mm -hmm. when I read an interview with some of the um, the judges for mm -hmm. the movies who say when they get to the animation category, they watch the Disney movie, maybe, mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah. Because they're not required to watch all the movies. And so that's, mm -hmm. they just assume the Disney movie is going to be the superior one. Well, and, you know, I mean, and to, I, that sort of plays out because, you know, how many times has Disney Pixar won the best animated feature, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I think Howl's Moving Castle won the um, the uh, Oscar for Best Animated Feature. But, I mean, you see all these really wonderful, wonderful animated feature films. Mm -hmm. There was one a few years ago that was about Vincent Van Gogh. I can't remember oh, the title. Being Vincent? Being Vincent. Right. I saw that. I saw, you know, I was watching. I, it was another Pixar, Disney combat year, you know. Whatever. And, and, I, then, and then they were showing just like a little clip of Being Vincent. I'm like, what is that? That's amazing. And so I literally like went out when it was available, went out and watched it. I'm like, how did this movie not win? It's all on glass, you know. It, I, it's amazing. I read the whole process of the way they did it. I mean, okay, I could go on about <laughs> this movie forever because that's just one of the ones that I've watched over and over and over. But it's the, the artists in that movie, you watch it and it's like watching a Vincent Van Gogh painting uh, I mean, come absolutely to, gorgeous. Yeah, I mean that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So I, I just don't, I just don't understand this like impulse. Like, if it's not Disney or if it's not Pixar, it's not good. You are preaching to the choir. We are <laughs> on little soapbox. Here. Well, see, I, I've just climbed up on the soapbox <laughs> with you. So, and uh, yeah, it's just um, I, I don't get it. Um, people don't like. I guess they don't like something that's beyond what they're comfortable. with. It's, it's harder to convince people to give an animated film a try. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's this sort of cultural understanding that if it's animated, it's for kids. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to escape when you're trying to tell people about these amazing films that have come. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like my my daughter. My daughter has good taste in movies, and her favorite like animated. I don't know if it counts as an. But her favorite animated movie when she was a kid was Coraline. She loved that movie. Oh, oh. <laughs> she loved Coraline. I, I mean, and she was a. Str- so that tells you that she was kind of a strange little girl because she loved Coraline. I mean, that's the perfect she, strange little girl. She she was not a Disney princess kind of girl. She was a Coraline kind of girl. So, um, yeah, it, it's just um, uh, I don't know. I think that we're depriving that people are depriving themselves of some real art yeah of course i could go on and on about like again the studio that did Coraline. Mm-hmm. that's another one i could just wax well, poetic about forever well you know what we've got other episodes <laughs> to kill cat and i'm always looking for new topics so but yeah getting back to, getting back to <laughs> and, and inception i mean uh, comparing the two i mean the 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 actual when you watch it and the animation so much more gorgeous to to watch and so much more interesting not that inception isn't astounding in its own way because it really isn't it, it really isn't astounding in what it does in the live action format um but yeah you, you you sort of convinced me on this one i was like i really love inception but paprika is just um you you i can't I can't explain. You know what? Just go and get the movies from the library. Yeah, we have it here. I'm going to return it after this weekend because I'm going to force my son to watch it. And then and then uh, you can get this movie and watch it. And do yourself an even bigger favor. Watch Paprika and then go and watch Inception. And you'll see what we're talking about. I think, I think what Inception tries to do is turns this idea of dreams into Mm -hmm. the perfect action landscape Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that inception fails to do is really encapsulate the creative wonder of a dream Mm -hmm. you know and that's the plot of the movie is that they're trying to make these dreams as real as possible so that they can fool their target into thinking it's real Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah it just it feels like it doesn't utilize the idea of dreams as well as paprika does well and because for in paprika it's all about psychology and healing from trauma and everything like that whereas as you said inception is all about basically industrial espionage yeah that's, that's what it is i mean dicaprio has his own psychological issues that he's mm-hmm. working through uh, you know, all of the characters have these psychological issues in that movie that they're working through, but the psychology is not the most important part. It's a hindrance to the character. Exactly. Specifically. Exactly. It's they are actively they're trying to shove the dreamscape into a box they want to work mm-hmm. with. That's why they need an architect. Mm-hmm. But yeah. whereas Paprika really, really embraces the idea of the fluidity of dreams. Mm-hmm. In one of the opening scenes of the movie, we've got this character running through a hallway Mm -hmm. trying to catch up to someone who's just been shot Mm -hmm. and this is sort of before you know that you're already in a dream and the hallway just elongates and spools out and starts contorting in all of these different ways and how many of us haven't had that dream yeah exactly it's it's 
I mean, it really does capture that the essence of those weird kinds of dreams that you have, you know. And plus, I think, you know, in Inception, DiCaprio, at the, at the, at the conclusion of that movie, yes, he gets home and he gets to his kids and everything. But it's almost like he has to deny his psychological trauma in order to get back mm-hmm. to his real life, if it is real at the end. Um, um, but, but yeah, it's almost like instead of working through the trauma that he's, that he's doing, it's like he basically he has to in the dream. Exactly. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. I'm going to leave you three dreams down in my subconscious. Sorry, you know, wife that I convinced life was a dream, you know, Anyway, yeah, it's just um, there's there's something about it that when when I watched it this this past time, I was like, wait a minute, you know, he's not healed, he's just in deeper denial about what's what's going on. So, yeah, it's just um, yeah, I I mean, people, I, if you can't tell the upshot of this whole conversation, the upshot of this whole conversation is go see Paprika or, or pick up Paprika and watch it. I would love to see this movie on a big screen because I think it would be gorgeous. I think I'm going to po- probably use it uh, as part of global cinema here at the library so that um, we can, I want to see it on the big screen because I think it would be gorgeous. I'm making see. a very small applause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna be coming up you know, not in the next quarter, but, I think, you know, it's a good movie to start out the new year with, maybe. How's that? I agree completely. <laughs> so, Paprika is going to be coming. So, if you're interested, intrigued by our conversation, um, intrigued by our description of this movie, keep an eye out on our events coming up because um, I'm putting Paprika on the have-to-watch list. Top billing. Top billing on the have-to-watch list. Um, I won't, I won't, uh, I won't do it in December. I don't think it's a December holiday kind of movie. Um, no, that's Tokyo Godfathers, the other movie by Satoshi Kon that I love. Oh, okay. Well, you know, twink, twink, twink. <laughs> I guess we might be going and, and maybe we'll have a whole month of like these kinds of movies. That would be kind of cool, too. Having like a little film festival of these kinds of. Okay. You wouldn't see me complain. <laughs> All right. So any last words about Paprika or Inception? Well, since you've asked. All right. No, go ahead. I will say one minor thing mm-hmm. between paprika and inception is i think i think they both have an iconic soundtrack mm-hmm. i mean how many times have people just sort of riffed the inception yeah to denote yep. something dramatic but i think in inception that really works mm-hmm. just like i think helen paprika the soundtrack by composer susumo kurosawa mm-hmm. really encapsulates that dreamlike quality mm-hmm. and yeah if you're a music nerd, in addition to a movie nerd and a library nerd, mm-hmm. they, I think both soundtracks are really yeah. fundamental. I mean, both. I think Hans Zimmer did Inception. Was it Hans Zimmer? I'd have to look that I up. I think it is Hans Zimmer. And let me tell you, I mean, I love Hans Zimmer as a composer. And I, I love movie music. I mean, when I was a kid, people were going out and buying albums by whatever the latest, you know, I was going out and buying movie soundtracks. I was a very weird child. <laughs> um, but yes, um, Hans Zimmer's and the music, um, the music in Paprika does, it's like another character in the movie. Yes. It really is. Because it's it's something that's present. It, it sets the scene. It helps you anticipate stuff. Um, and um, yeah, it's, 
there's some there's some movies that you see where the music is like, eh, you know, whatever. It doesn't really it does. I mean, it's there just because it has to be there, you know, but it it doesn't become a part of the movie. Whereas in Inception and Paprika, it really is another it's it, the movies wouldn't be the same without yes. those mu- without the music. Exactly. So. No. You know, I didn't want this to be a, oh, we're dunking on Inception. No, no, no. I mean, Kat and I both like Inception. Yeah. For what it is, you know. Um, but, you know, we also really loved, see, I said like Inception, love <laughs> Paprika for what it is and what it does. I've uh, performed an Inception on you, Marty. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I think that Kat was in my dream last night. She planted something in my head three dreams down that said that made me realize that paprika was a better movie i don't know we'll see we'll see um anyway so there you have it fellow library nerds cats opinions on adaptations the good the bad and the downright mind bending <laughs> however we can't let you leave the statue of nerdity just yet first we have to get a book recommendation from you Something that you think listeners should immediately run to the library and pick up off the shelf. Okay, Kat, what have you been reading that's good? I have been reading lately Some Desperate Glory. Desperate Glory. Who's it by? Which is a sci-fi novel by Emily Tenshi. All right. You have it here at the library. It's uh, her first novel-length work. She's been published in novella format before this, and it is a whopper coming in at 438 Ooh, pages. Okay. Or if you pick up the audiobook narrated by Cena Breyer, it is 16 hours. Ooh, wow, that is a long time. Yeah. And I will say, um, I've just passed the 10-hour mark, mm-hmm. and there is a twist I never saw coming, and it's not wholly unrelated to what we've been talking about. Nice. nice. All right. Kat is not one to give out spoilers if you haven't noticed. Um, I'm like, I'm all about like, let me tell you what happened. But, you know, um, so it was Some Desperate Glory by Emily Tesh. Yep, that's okay. good. And, um, and it's it's a sci-fi book. It's a sci-fi. It's a dramatic, military, sort of hard, soft sci-fi thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say, I read an interview with the author before picking it up. Mm-hmm saying where she was saying that she wanted to write a book with a protagonist that was not likable and she has succeeded and the book is fantastic (laughs) it's fantastic so you really don't like the the main character then she's got a lot of growing to do and i'm not sure if she's gonna do it is it one of those books where you get really frustrated with the main character at times yes okay all right. But you also see the circumstances mm-hmm. that shaped her as a person and yeah. why this is the character that she is. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm going to make a make a jerk just for the purpose of being a jerk to mm-hmm. fill out the jerk position in this school bullying plot. Okay. All right. There are reasons and it's completely enrapturing. For me. Okay. All right. Well, it sounds great. Um, so you're still reading it, you said, or are you listening to I'm it? I'm listening to it on Libby. I'm about 10 hours in into the 16-hour saga, and I still don't know if we're going to get a happy ending if I even want one. You know, happy endings are overrated, I think. I've heard that. <laughs> so and so we got the book. We got it on Libby Audio. You can listen to it. It's Some Desperate Glory by Emily Tesh. So there it is fellow library nerds, Kat's recommendation of something that you should pick up off the shelf.
And we have come to the end of this adaptation episode of Library Nerds with Words. I want to thank Kat Shattuck from the Reference Desk for stopping by the Museum of Natural Nerdity today. Thanks, and Kat, Marie. now that you've been here, you are you you know it's nothing and you can come back anytime. <laughs> Just knock on the door and say, hey, Marty, let's record an episode. And I'd probably go, sure, let's do it. So, anytime. anytime. Okay, great. So stop by next week when I will be welcoming back to the podcast PWPL's teen services guru, Amanda Pierce. We might be talking a little uh, Middle Earth um, uh, next week where Kat's uh, very excited about this too, what's coming up in September here at the library. So until that time, everyone, stay nerdy. Thank you for listening to Library Nerds with Words, Peter White Public Library's weekly podcast, giving you the word on what's cool at the library. The theme for the podcast is Happy Clappy by John Bartman, used courtesy of Pixabay. This episode was written and produced by Martin Ackett's and sponsored by Peter White Public Library. Until next week, pick up a good book, listen to some good music, watch a good movie, attend a great event, and remember, library nerds are the coolest people around.